Well, if you would look at page 13 of your worship folder, you'll find our scripture reading for this morning, which is chapter 4 of Genesis, verses 1 through 26. Hear God's word to us this morning. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, for you have driven me today from the ground, and I shall hide, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a a city, he called the name of the city after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad. And Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tublacane. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventyfold, seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For, she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. 
Pray with me. Oh, Father, we pray you meet us this morning in this word, in this well-known, strange story. Help us to see ourselves in this story. As Cain, as Abel, but help us most of all to see you in the midst of this story as the God who is always questioning and moving towards us even when we move from him. And so we pray, God, this morning you break through our defenses. You pierce our loneliness and help us to know that you are the God who moves towards us and not away. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, loneliness is your real sexual problem. Loneliness is our real sexual problem. It's, our sexual problem is not a lack of opportunity. It's not boredom. It's not an inability to perform. It is not even confused desire. It's loneliness. Because at the end of the day, what sexuality is about is about connection. Sexuality, is, true sexuality, is about intimacy. It's about relationship. It's about being completed in another. It's about the recognition of another that sees you and, they, and you see them. A shared joy and intensity that's mutual. And loneliness is the frustration of this. Loneliness is the frustration of relationship. It's the inability to meaningfully connect with others, even with one's own spouse. It's the feeling that you're not taken seriously. It's the feeling of being invisible. It's the feeling that you have no place where you belong. You have no home in this world. Loneliness is at the root of our sexual problems. And core to this idea of human sexuality is that fundamentally to our sexuality, as I've been saying, is it's social. I, there's a quote on your reflections page from Marva Don, and I've introduced this distinction to you before between uh, social sexuality and genital sexuality. And uh, Don says that you know, our tendency is to want to collapse them together. They're, of course, interrelated. But as we live in a sort of more lonely society, you know, there's books called The Lonely Society or The Lonely Man. As we live in a world that's more individualized and more atomized, the more isolating, more lonely, there's a way in which I think we, we confuse this desire for connection, this desire for a full social sexuality with our genital sexuality, with this idea that somehow if I, if I can connect sexually with somebody, that will sort of satisfy this deep inner longing to be connected socially, to belong, to feel meaning in our lives. And Don makes the observation is that as long as we're always collapsing these together, we're going to confuse our insatiable need for social sexuality and for connection with genital. And we'll sort of just embrace and I mean, that's what we see in our culture, right? Isn't it interesting that the more individualistic and more isolated and more lonely we become, the more, in a sense, sexualized we become in a genital kind of way? Pornography, hookups, casual, temporary sexual situations, right? This is, this is kind of par for the course. I mean, it's pretty normal. But I want you to see, friends, that the reason why that is more and more the case is because of we're so lonely, and we're trying to address our social sexuality and its needs with these 
genital ones. I know that sounds (laughs) odd, perhaps, but friends, all forms of what the Bible calls sexual immorality are forms of false intimacy. That word, actually, sexual immorality that you find in the New Testament uh, is the word in the Greek. It means it's pornea. It's unlawful sexual relationships. And they're unlawful because they actually are a a fraud and a lie. (laughs) They promise intimacy, but they don't give it. They're false. Because at the end of the day, what we crave in our sexuality is for connection, for belonging, for commitment, for being known. And a sexuality that is casual, temporary, does not provide that. In fact, it does the opposite. It creates these spiritual sinkholes in our life, these emotional sinkholes. And they had all these storms in California um, this couple of weeks ago, and there were all these stories about these big sinkholes that were opening up. And so places where there's, you know, ash, you know a road just falls in, Right? And what happens with the sinkholes, you have this river of water that is running underneath the ground and you can't see it. And then all of a sudden it gets more and more thin and it just collapses in. And that's sort of what sort of false intimacy does to us. It kind of creates these emotional, spiritual sinkholes. And everything might seem great on the top, but eventually it craters in and actually intensifies the longing and the isolation and the loneliness rather than alleviating it. So, we can't talk meaningfully, friends, about sexuality and the problems of our sexuality if we don't actually talk about the deepest problem of our sexuality, which is loneliness. And so, I want to explore with you this morning, what are the causes of loneliness? What are the sources of loneliness in our life? And how do we deal with it? Cain is the original lonely man. You look at the book of Genesis and remember, especially in Genesis 1 through 11, this is called the primeval history. And Genesis is a book of beginnings, right? It's the beginning of the world, it's the beginning of marriage, it's the beginning of sin. But in the story of Cain and Abel, you have the beginning of the brokenness of human community. You have the beginning of loneliness. And so when you read the story of Cain, remember it's your story, it's my story. Just like you and I are in Adam and Eve. You and I are in Cain and Abel. And we all bear Cain's mark, which is the curse of original loneliness. Look at our text starting in verse 11. I want to start with the punishment or the curse that God gives after Cain kills his brother. And it says, now, this is God speaking to Cain, now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength, and you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the face, from your face, and I shall be hidden. I shall be a refuge, a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Cain is the original lonely man, and his condition is what you might call original loneliness. And I think there's four marks that you see with original loneliness that characterizes all of our lives to varying degrees at different times in our life. And the first aspect of being lonely is instability, the sense of instability. Cain is exiled from human community. 
And he sent to the land of Nod. He moves to the land of Nod, and that word Nod means wavering. He goes to the place of wavering, the place of instability, where before he was within the midst of family, he had a brother, he had parents, there was society and community, now he is exiled to the place of wavering and instability. But not only that, in his relationship to the land, his very relationship as a farmer is now cursed. And so he cannot rely on that as a means of, of sustenance and supporting his life. He is unstable. And I think that's one of the things you, when you're lonely, you feel that instability, that sort of up and down, that you don't have a place that sort of anchors you, that secures you. But it's also a life of vulnerability. And that the second mark, to be lonely is to be vulnerable, to have this sense of vulnerability. And by vulnerable, I, I don't mean this in a good way. I mean this in a way that you feel exposed, open to harm. What was Cain's immediate response? If I leave community, if I, I, somebody's going to kill me. I'm, I'm vulnerable. I'm not safe out here by myself. And I think that's the feel, feeling we have when we're lonely is a sense of extreme vulnerability which leads to the third piece, which is distrust of others, right? Now, presumably, Cain is the first person who's brought violence into the world. And yet, his immediate response is, if he has to leave community, he himself is going to be subject to violence. He doesn't trust anybody now, right? He's suspicious of others, that they might harm him. And he creates a city. In cities in the ancient world, you don't live outside of a city because it's not safe to live outside a city. But then fourth, the final thing that you see is so Cain is, his loneliness is instability, vulnerability, distrust, but finally self-pity. Cain is a self-pitying man. When God does not accept his sacrifice, it says his face fell. He turned away. He turned away from God. And then when God, after he kills his brother, and God curses him and sends him away, his immediate response is, this punishment is unfair. That's not right. I'm going to be killed. You know, and it's the sense of self-pity that sort of isolates him in his loneliness and distorts his sense. It wasn't his response is, I did wrong, God. I shouldn't have killed my brother. But it was since he wasn't sorry for his sin, he was sorry for the consequences of his sin. And isn't that the truth about us oftentimes? We're actually sorry not for the fact that we sinned. <laughs> we're sorry because the consequences of our sin are so severe. Instability, vulnerability, distrust, and self-pity are the marks of loneliness. And friends, we're all sons and daughters of Cain. Just like we inherited the sin of Adam and Eve, and not just inherited its curse, but participated in it in the same way as sons and daughters of Cain. We ourselves have been Cain's. Now it's true, right? This story also has Abel. And many times in life it is true that we suffer because of Cain's in our life. And Cain was the original bully. And there's often times that we suffer the loneliness because of things that have happened to us that are outside of us. Like Abel, we become victims of hatred, of loneliness, of those inflicted against us. And yet, that's another sermon for another time. I want to, the reality is this we are perpetrators of our own loneliness. 
We are perpetrators of our own loneliness. You know, we're not prone to think about loneliness as something that we're responsible for. And yet I think what this story tells us, and it causes us to ask this question, what does it mean for us to take responsibility for our loneliness? Not just as something bad that has happened to you, but as something that you are responsible for, something that I am responsible for. And the thing is that Cain was a lonely man long before his sacrifice that was not accepted by God. He was a lonely man long before he killed his brother. And when he was exiled, he was, the physical reality of his exile was simply catching up with what was inside of him. And I think you see there's two things that Cain failed to do when it came to taking responsibility for his own loneliness. And they're the two things that we need to do. The first thing, and there's two, he refused to nurture his original solitude. He refused to nurture his original solitude. Now, I'll explain what that means. But two, he refused to be a keeper of community. He refused to be a keeper of community. One of the things that you need to see in this story that that is at the very heart of it is that the origin of Cain's crime, the reason that he kills his brother, has to do with a broken relationship with God. You see, Abel is... I mean, we tend to focus on the crime and Abel and and the disaster there, forgetting that actually... Cain kills his brother Abel, not because of Abel, anything Abel did, but what he represented, what he reminded him of, which was this broken relationship with God that he refused to address, that he refused to deal with. And it's interesting that one of the things you see um, is this movement. So Eden is the place of the presence of God, and when, when, the people, when Adam and Eve are sent from the garden, they're sent east of Eden. And when Cain is cursed from the land and sent out of community, he's sent further east of Eden. And so there's this, this general progression of further and further movement away from the presence of God. And that word fate, that when it says a number of times that, that Cain's face fell, that's the Hebrew's way of talking about the way that, that Cain left the presence of God. Because the presence of God is always, um, in the Hebrew, uh, this image of, of beholding a face, right? To be in the presence of God, to see his face. And so for your face to fall is to turn your face away from God. And that's what Cain does. He turns his face away from God. And this is precisely what I mean by this idea of original solitude. And I want to draw your attention back to um, something I discussed in the fall in a sermon called Built for Relationship, where I talk about this idea of original solitude. And if you'll remember the story in Genesis 2, God creates Adam. He puts him in the garden. And he says, it's not good for man to be alone. But before God makes Eve... He brings all the animals to Adam. So Adam feels his solitude, his loneliness, if you will. The fact that none of these creatures is like me. There's nobody like me. And the question is, why does God do that? Why doesn't God just make at both you know, sexes in the beginning? Why does God make Adam feel his aloneness, his solitude? And one of the, one of the points that I made is that it was important for Adam to recognize that he stood in unique relationship to God. That, that his relationship with God was the fundamental, primary, foremost relationship of his life. And that original solitude meant to draw attention to that. That his core dignity and the meaning in life was in that relationship. His relationship with the Creator. It's interesting that human, born, human beings are not born in flocks and schools like the rest of creation. They're born one at a time, ordinarily. Right? 
one at a time. And there's something important to this. We are in a fundamental relationship with God as our creator. And so Cain, back to our story, he brings a sacrifice, right? So far, so good, right? He's bringing a sacrifice to God. But there's something off by the sacrifice. There's something off kilter. You see in verse uh, 3, in the course of time, Cain brought uh, to the Lord an offering that was from the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought an offering, the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. What's interesting about the story is that the narrator never tells us exactly what was wrong with Cain's sacrifice. There's lots of speculation about what it was, right? Some people say, well, he needed to be a blood sacrifice, and God wasn't a vegetarian. He wanted meat. But that's not it. That's not it. There, there was something wrong, but it doesn't tell us why. And I think that's actually really important. I think it's important that we don't know, because it's actually likely that Cain himself didn't fully understand what was wrong with his sacrifice, and yet there was something wrong. See, there was something hidden. There was something interior. There was something deep that he could have only discovered by turning in. And by turning in, he's turning to God and said, Lord, what's off? What's wrong here? What's wrong about this sacrifice? Help me, Lord. But what Cain does is he turns away, right? God talks to him. God comes to him. He says, listen, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? It's not as if God is being arbitrary. It's not as if God is trying to be mean or play favorites. And yet Cain refuses to engage God. Instead, instead of engaging God and responding to God, it says right in the next verse, in verse 8, Cain spoke with his brother. He doesn't speak with God. He speaks with his brother. And then they were in the field, and he rose up and he killed him. See, Cain refused to be alone. He refused to have that conversation with God, which would have forced him to look inward at himself and his solitude and to confront his loneliness. And what you see in his life, there's a reason why I read all the way to the end of the chapter, because I think it's a very important piece of Cain, Cain's story. There's nothing in Scripture, and there's nothing in this story that tells us that Cain ever repented truly that he ever turned things around, that he ever got things right. What does he do? He takes a wife and has a child, and then he starts a city. And he actually becomes an entrepreneur. He becomes a great culture maker, a very accomplished man. And from the line of Cain, you have have music and the arts, you have animal husbandry, you have the beginning of agriculture and civilization, all coming from Cain. You get the sense he's a guy with grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, but it's a city also that's mixed with violence, <laughs> polygamy, exploitation of women. All of this is part of Cain's legacy. And you get the sense that here you have this man who he's working out this negative spiritual energy in his life and he's doing great things. He's doing like outwardly, like here is a very accomplished person. And you have to see, though, that what is driving him <laughs> is this deficit. This negative spiritual energy in his life. He doesn't want to be alone. And it's as if he's saying to God, I'll show you, I will not be alone. I will not be a nobody. I will do something. I will make something of my life. 
and Cain distracts himself with city building and child rearing and accomplishment to take his mind off of the inner emptiness, right? (laughs) To not deal with the heart of the issue. To not allow himself to be miserable. Friends, how true of this is us for us? (laughs) How often in our lives are we driven? Are we driven to be successful and accomplished because of a deficit? Because we have to prove something to God, to our brother, to that friend group or whatever it is, I am not going to be a nobody. I'm not going to be alone. I will show you. Instead of, turning, instead of looking at the real heart of the issue, we're out. Henry Nouwen, um, a man who was well acquainted with loneliness, and says, talks about the need for us to confront the wound of loneliness. He says, but the more I think about loneliness, the more I think about the wound of loneliness is like the Grand Canyon a deep incision in the surface of our existence which has become an inexhaustible source of beauty and self-understanding. The awareness of loneliness might be a gift we must protect, must, must be a gift we protect and guard because, and this is, because our loneliness reveals to us an inner emptiness that can be destructive when we misunderstand, but filled with promise for him who can tolerate its sweet pain. Later on, uh, in a different book, Nowen talks about the temptation to deal with our loneliness with what he calls final solutions. Final solutions. And the final solutions are, to our loneliness, if I meet the right person, if I fall in love, if I can have a baby, if I can get that career, that will, that will that'll address that inner loneliness. It'll take it away. And what, what Nowen says is that when you, when you move in life and you don't deal with the inner loneliness and the wound and the deficit, what you do is you set up expectations for those that you find yourself in life with, married or your children or your career, that can never possibly address that. And that ultimately crushes it. And this is why um, Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, he has this remarkable statement that I think is jarring if you don't understand what he means. And I think this context is what he has in mind. He says, Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who cannot be alone be aware of community. He will only do harm to himself and the community. Alone you stood before God. When he called you, alone you had to answer that call. Alone you had to struggle and pray. And alone you will die and give an account to God. You cannot escape yourself, for God has singled you out. If you refuse to be alone, you are rejecting Christ's call to you. And you have no part in the community of those who are called. What he's saying is this. It is possible to be in community and to hide from God. It's to to go into community and hide and not actually deal with the solitude, with the heart of the issue. And I think Cain perfectly illustrates Bonhoeffer's principle that the refusal to be alone, the refusal to deal with the inner solitude, The loneliness brings harm to the community. Friends, we have to confront the inner loneliness. And I think in a lot of times in life that we can look outside of ourselves and we think all the problems are outside and not inside. And we're afraid to be alone. We're afraid to deal with that thing inside of us, the bad sacrifice of our life. And we're mad at God and we we turn that anger from God and disappointment towards God towards others. And yet here this God is. He's, this God comes to Cain. He says, if you do the right thing, will you not be accepted? Will you not be accepted? 
See, God wanted Adam to confront his original solitude before he brought Eve along. See, it's not, see solitude isn't the end game. It's not as if that's where God wants to keep us. But there's a way that, that we have to confront that before we can even be ready for community, for relationship, for commitment and life. And Cain refused to do this. And this led to the second problem. The second problem that Cain did. He refused to be a keeper of community. He refused to be a keeper of community. When Cain bemoans his punishment from God as too much to bear, he shows a real irony, right? Cain wanted to be in community, but he did not want to be a keeper of that community. He didn't want to be his brother's keeper. When he kills his brother, God comes to him and he says, Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain says, I don't know. (laughs) Am I my brother's keeper? Or translated more exactly, am, am I the keeper's keeper? Am I the shepherd's shepherd? Like, he's the shepherd. He's the keeper. Shouldn't he be keeping care of himself? I mean, that's the play on words in the Hebrew. It's a sort of a cruel taunt. And Abel, the word Abel means breath or vapor. He's the younger brother. He's a vulnerable one, right? And Cain tried to eliminate him because, in a way, he stood between him and his goals in life. And I think it's important to, uh, again, see the dynamic of, of these, these texts. That um, when God puts Adam in the garden, he says that he put him in the garden to work and keep it. To work and keep it. And the Hebrew words are avoda for work and samar for keeper. And it's interesting that so, so Cain is the worker and Abel is the keeper, Right? To work means service and work and worship. And to keep means to watch over, to guard and protect. And, and see, this was the original, this is what it meant to inhabit the earth and the garden is to be a worker and a keeper. And Cain wants to be a worker, but he does not want to be a keeper. He does not want to take responsibility for his brother. He doesn't want to take responsibility for things that don't serve his purpose. He refuses covenant. He becomes a consumer of community in a sense. See, to want community without the responsibility for community is to be a consumer of community. It's to enter relationships and communities and marriages as what do I get out of this? What's in it for me? It's to see a community or a person as a means to your own personal happiness and fulfillment rather than as an end in itself, as a commitment and a covenant you make through thick and thin, even when it's hard, even when it's painful, even when your brother and you look at him and he reminds you of your broken relationship with God, let me just be honest you know one of the reasons that we are so lonely in our lives and I speak for myself included is that we want to be so we're consumers but we don't want to be keepers we're consumers of community but we're not keepers of community we want deep Intimate, personal relationships where we feel belonging, we feel valued, we feel recognized, we're taken seriously, and yet we're not willing to enter into the kind of relationship and the covenants and the commitments that make that possible. Cain wanted a brother, but he didn't want to be a brother. (laughs) And I think a lot of us want friends, We want community, but we don't want to be a friend. We're not willing to actually 
Make a commitment and experience pain for the sake of a relationship that's bigger than you. To stick it out even when you get unhappy. And what this always leads to, and again, is self-pity, which is a mark of loneliness. is a tendency for all of us to feel sorry for ourselves. And to think that the real problem in life is not me, but it's the community. It's Cain, or it's Abel, rather. It's my parents. My parents didn't do me right. My brother or my sister did not do me right. That church community, they are judgmental and they're hypocrites. My friends, right? It's always to see other people as the problem. That's, that's part of the mark of loneliness, is for us to, to refuse to see us as the problem, but to see others as the problem. But the truth of the matter, friends, is nine times out of the ten, and I'm not saying that other people don't really hurt us, spouses, friends, parents, church communities, for sure, right? They're still enabled can be harmed. And oftentimes we are that able. But the fact of the matter is more often we're Cain. And we refuse to see ourselves as the problem. Everybody else is the problem. And, do, and here's what you have to realize. The more that you operate in life that way, the deeper your loneliness becomes. The more isolated you become. The more alienated in a way. Friends, God calls you to community. To become a Christian is to be called into community. It's to be called into covenantal relationship. It's to be called into brotherhood and sisterhood. It's interesting that the church actually is God's response to the curse of Cain. The church, not marriage, the church. Because the church is the place, the community, where we come and learn what it means to be brothers and sisters. It's the place where we come and we learn to have our our disordered desires and our mixed-up relationships reordered around the love of Christ. God's response to Cain after he complains of his punishment and fear of death is to say, not so. God says, not so. You will not die. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain. Lest anyone who found him should attack him. That mark, what is that mark? It's interesting. Some people think maybe it was a tattoo. Maybe. Or it was a spiritual thing. And there's lots of speculation about what the mark of Cain is. It's an ambiguous sign. But think about this. The mark of Cain it's a sign of God's judgment, but it's also a sign of God's mercy. It's a sign of, here's a man who's committed a crime and judgment hangs over his life, but also here's a man who do not touch him. He's under my care and my provision. One of the things we do um, during Lent and Ash Wednesdays, you do that sign of the cross on your, on your forehead, right? It's a mark. It's not the mark of Cain, though. It's the mark of the cross, and friends, deep down, the way that you reverse the curse of Cain in your life is you receive that mark. <laughs> receive it on your forehead. Those ashes which represent death and repentance. Jesus entered the world under the curse of Cain. He left his home in heaven, right? To become a fugitive, a wanderer on the earth. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
He came into a hostile world that was the world he created, and that world did not receive him as his own. Like Abel, Jesus suffered death at the hands of his own flesh and blood. Jesus suffered death at the hands of, that's us, his own flesh and blood. The very people that came from his creative hand. And like Cain, he died as a criminal outside of the city gates. And like Abel, his blood was spilled on the ground, and the earth received it. But as the writer of Hebrews says, his blood speaks a better word, a better word than the blood of Abel. For those who receive the mark of the cross, what it means is that the punishment is no longer on you. (laughs) It's no longer on you. It was on him. He bore the punishment. He bore the final loneliness. And he is the final solution. And his sacrifice is one that God accepts as good. And because of that sacrifice, he accepts us. Because that's the gospel. That's what it means to receive the mark of the cross. And it's the only solution to our loneliness. Let's pray. Father, as we... uh, We contemplate the meaning of the cross and our loneliness. We pray, God, that the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection, his stepping into our place, would not be a nice spiritual platitude, but would sink deep into our hearts and to reshape and reform our identities. Oh, God, help us to repent, to repent of those things that make us lonely. Give us the strength not to be looking at ourselves, to feel sorry for ourselves, but to look to our Savior, the one that entered our place, the one that endured a loneliness that no human could ever survive. It's because of him that we have life and that we have community and belonging in your kingdom. It's in his name we pray. Amen.